Today we're in the book of Mark, chapter 2, 18 through 22, a few short verses. Mark 2, 18 through 22. So people all over the country are having conversations this week about the upcoming holiday. People have already said, what are you going to do this week? And I said, what are you going to do this week? Thanksgiving is a unique time that we come together with friends and family Most of us appreciate the focus is on gratitude and sharing a meal together. At Senior Lunch, we always reminisce about the times that we have had with uh, family over the years. One person remembers that back in the 40s, their favorite place was being at the kids' table. Because in their family, the kids always got to eat first. So she said, I hated the day that I had to go to the adults' table. Another told of being in the military and having a buffet dinner with all the soldiers and their families and how meaningful that was. Sharon talked about how her aunt used to make the worst pumpkin pie ever because it had too much cinnamon. And she was too afraid to say a word, but her brother finally did. And then the aunt changed the recipe. (laughs) These stories are wonderful and make up the fabric of our lives. And all of us have them and all of us love them. But there are other stories that we don't always talk about that are just as much part of our history when people drink too much, when old fights resurface, when friends are obnoxious and mean, the dumb choices we made, the times that we were alone and grieve. The memories like this are just as much part of who we are as the good ones. So often what we want for Thanksgiving is it for it to be a wonderful time with a perfect meal, with loving people that we have great connection and no baggage with. And although we know our upcoming holiday may not be that way, it seemed helpful for us just to reflect for a minute what our hopes are for our holiday this year. One lesson of the holiday season is that reality is always different than what we imagine it's going to be. Most of life is this way, actually. We may spend a fair amount of time thinking about our days, planning the things that we're going to do, but our thoughts rarely match what actually happens. We're often surprised by how things unfold. Sometimes these cause unexpected hurdles. Sometimes they cause great feelings. But there's too many variables in life for us to know exactly how something is going to go. So the times that we come together with those we love or or those who are in our circle— are really just simply going to be the time that it is. Now, this can be challenging for us because sometimes we put people in categories and think, well, we know how that person's going to behave. That person's mean. I don't want to be with them. We replay old memories and talk about how someone's never going to change. We get there, and sometimes we regress into old patterns of our own. I was thinking, what would it be like if we really went to a holiday gathering expecting people to have grown over the year? Because we have. We've grown. We've changed. We have new things going on in our life. What if we really listened to who someone we struggled with was and found new areas in common? What if we ourselves had different attitudes and put on the shelf the things that we think about other people? What if we ask the Lord to really help us not just to love, love truly, but to have grace for the things in our family that are difficult for us? What if instead of scripting in our mind the predictability of it all, we take the good and the bad, praying for the Lord just to direct us and show us who he wants us to be in all that happens? 
I ask this question as I'm clearly in process for my own holidays, but also because our reading today shows how coming to Jesus always surprises us. You see, God never changes who he is, but our interactions with him can go in so many different directions. When we seek God, he meets us with his infinite presence, leading us to a new place that we're not expecting. Jesus shows us today how old and predictable ways are not how he operates When we come to God, he is going to be who he is going to be. And he's not going to fit our categories that we try to place him in. He is not going to allow us to stay how we have been. So when we allow him to be God, we will find a revived relationship where he guides us into deeper transformation through his spirit. So let's read together Mark 2, 18 through 22. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and the people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, The wedding guests cannot fast while the bridegroom is with them, can they? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old cloak. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and so are the skins. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you are alive and you are with us today. And so we ask that we would truly hear you. Amen. This is an interesting scripture because out of a single question come three vivid pictures Jesus gives to help people understand his purpose. Jesus has come to make all things new. So here we see through asking questions, Through the spiritual discipline of fasting and through welcoming original ideas, God continues to guide his church to new adventures. And yes, I see the irony of talking about fasting on a day that we are feasting. Imagine the unexpected at church. So some people come and they talk to Jesus about fasting. This might have happened while they were still at Levi's house, having dinner like we talked about last week with a mix of old and new friends. One thing to pay attention to is how this is an honest question from a regular person. Mark doesn't indicate that it's a setup intended to trap Jesus. It's asked with curiosity. So why do these guys fast and these guys fast, but you don't? Now, it's an understandable query. As people who attempt to lead holy lives, we get where they're going with this. If fasting is important to two major leaders who are very dissimilar in their focus, and you're a major leader, Jesus, why don't your people do this? They're trying to gauge the importance of something that is common in their spiritual community. But here's Jesus not doing it. Now, this is about practice, not theology. Although what we believe to be true about God always informs the things that we do to know him more. When we ask a question, most often, you know, we just want an answer. Just bottom line it, Jesus. Just tell us what you think. 
But Jesus hears them and responds by talking about a wedding and then talking about some household tips. For those of us who want a straightforward answer, we're going to be disappointed because this is a pattern that God has. While it may cause consternation, God is going to answer how God is going to answer. And it seems to me that Jesus answered in a way that he wanted people to think more in depth about what he was saying, to ponder what he means and allow the living word to speak in multiple ways. For those of us who come later, we might think about how the hearers first understood it, and then we talk to one another about how these words apply to our lives still. Jesus says, when you seek, you will find, and we know that. And Jesus taught all of us that we need to keep coming to him no matter the answer that we think we're going to hear, maybe even if we don't understand the answer the first time. It doesn't matter what I think is going to happen when I talk to God. The answer always varies because he is alive. When we interact with one another, we're not robots. We're living complex beings made up of a vast amount of experience and culture and education as well as a unique DNA While people might have similar patterns in communicating, I'm surprised every day about what people say to me. Sometimes I'm surprised by what comes out of my own mouth when I'm talking to somebody. So why would we think that if we come to God, the answer is always going to be something that's predictable, that it's always going to be something that's trite? So God is living a perfect being who is far beyond our understanding. So what have you recently asked God about? What if you honestly come to him and said, Jesus, this, let's talk about this with curiosity, with an open mind. So you might truly know something you don't know. Has he answered you yet? How did he respond? I have lots of people tell me that when they pray, sometimes God gives them random things they don't understand. Sometimes it's a color or a picture or a piece of scripture or um, a vision. In prayer, sometimes they've had difficulty connecting what that thing had to do with what they were asking. But after a while, they come back and they go, I get it. It resonated with my soul. It just took a little more searching. The disciples who wrote this book knew later exactly what he was trying to say here, but in the moment, it might not have sounded like much of an answer. We who have hindsight and the benefit of good theologians to help us figure out the truth, and yet the Spirit still speaks to us in distinctive ways, in very unique ways, in how we find ourselves today, right now. So as we seek, may we hear what the Lord is truly trying to communicate directly to us. One of the ways that God meets us in beautiful and often unexpected ways is through the spiritual disciplines. Here, the one in question is fasting. In the time that this was written, there was one day a year, the Day of Atonement. We know it as Yom Kippur. That was a yearly observance where the high priest made an atoning sacrifice for the sins of all the people, bringing forgiveness for the whole year. Some of the leaders in Jesus' time fasted twice a week, which is probably why this question has come up. Fasting, of course, was done to express grief or penitence or to ready oneself for prayer or the revelation of God. We've already seen in this book how Jesus fasted in the desert during the temptation as a time of spiritual preparation 
for his ministry. But Jesus had harsh words for those who engaged in this practice when their hearts had nothing to do with it. They just wanted people to see and notice and think better of them for doing so. Jesus answers the question of why his disciples do not fast by saying, well, think of it like a bridal party. At a wedding in Jesus' day, the celebration would go on and on with family and friends. And there was a rabbinic ruling that said this, all in attendance on the bridegroom are relieved of religious observances, which would lessen their joy. In other words, you're free, people. A wedding was, of course, a happy time of revelry. It would be weird and odd for someone to say, well, I'm not going to eat right now because I'm fasting during your wedding. Jesus is saying that in his presence, the arrival of the bridegroom is a time for joy. If the purpose of fasting is to get closer to God, to know him more, then there was no need for them to do that while he was right there with them. Why would the disciples abstain from anything when they have the pleasure of walking with him in the flesh? And then in verse 20, Jesus alludes his death. He tells them there's going to be a day that they're going to fast. The bridegroom is going to be taken from them. And that's what will happen then. There's no mandate in the New Testament for God's people to hold back from food, but it is a practice which can be a vital part of our life with him. And sometimes not just food but fasting from technology or fasting from something that you are so thinking about all the time, arranging in your mind all the time, wondering how you're going to get the next whatever. Fasting takes on all kinds of um, nuances. But when we deny ourselves something which um, has been something that we continue to go to, it heightens our sense of who God is and how we can hear from the Lord I have heard God's call to fast and pray in a time of big decision, in a time of vulnerable moments, when the attack that was spiritual was heavy on us as a community or on my own life. Some people choose to fast once a week and spend spend the time that they would normally eat to pray, to give the money that they would normally spend on food to God's ministry so God might be glorified. We fast when the Lord uniquely calls us to go deeper with him. Sometimes that's lament for the things in the world. There are so many things that we could fast and pray about all over. Racial tensions and hatred on the rise all over the world. The deep pain of the sin of sexual exploitation. Those who are trapped in addiction the struggles of so many with the ravages of disease. We stop and we think about this, and sometimes we want to stop and pray and ask, Lord, help me to know you more. And fasting is part of that. For some in Jesus' time, fasting had become so routine, it had lost its relevance. But for us in the church today, there's a serious lack of fasting and drawing to to God in this way. It's a practice that honors the Lord because in it, we can hear his voice in a new way. We are more attuned to him as our appetites are not being fed. 
The bridegroom has come, and now he has been taken away for now. And in his physical absence, I encourage all of us to seek the Lord, to engage with him in the spiritual discipline of fasting, because he will meet you in ways that will surprise your soul. So Jesus has been talking about specific answers to his question. For our third point, we want to see how he broadens the correlation and to talk about the old and the new. He talks about what happens when someone tries to mend an old cloak. If a new patch is used, a piece of cloth that has not been properly prepared or shrunk beforehand will eventually pull away. It will rip a worse hole in the garment that it was trying to fix. When wineskins, the bottle of the day, were new, they were elastic on the inside. They were malleable. And that's necessary because new wine is still fermenting. So it will cause pressure and expand. And if the skins are old and cracked and unyielding, then when new wine is poured into them, they will burst and both will be lost. Jesus is saying he will not be an add-on to those who have known God, nor can he be enclosed by how things have always been. To do so will wreck both the old and the new covenant. We see in the early church how the church fights to figure out how it is that they're going to honor the law while accepting the grace of Christ. And we see in history how the Holy Spirit has had to bring correction to the church in different ways. This week, I was honored to be on a panel at Westmont where a group of pastors were talking about the Reformation that mostly came through the work of Martin Luther. Martin Luther saw huge sin and excess in the church, in the leaders of the church. The people who were supposed to be bringing the good news but were so wrapped up in political prestige and motivated by vast amounts of money that they were not preaching scriptural holiness at all. And no amount of patching was going to be possible because when Luther nailed those 95 theses to the door, those in power were so angry that they wanted to excommunicate him and kill him. So no patching would have worked. Total reform had to happen. So as we talked as pastors about how now we live out the truth of the Reformation, it became clear that we have a God who is always out in front of us. He is always out in front of the church, and he is leading us to always discover new ways to be his hands and his feet, to continually revive ancient practices of knowing him and revive scriptural practices that are meant to be natural as we follow him. Jesus has brought the good news, but we ourselves have to fight against being stale. We have to fight against us being predictable and trite in the way that we respond to him and know him as he pours new wine into our hearts. Listen to this quote. The movement Jesus has set on foot is a fresh and growing thing. It is impossible to set limits to its expansion, irrational to confine it to forms which were not made for it. The movement of God is fresh. It is continually growing. If you don't feel that way, that's a problem that actually has to do with you more than it has to do with the Lord. And so I encourage you that if you're dry, if you're simply going through the motions and not engaging fully with the Father and the Son and the Spirit, to engage in a different way, 
to not set limits on who he is or what he is meant to be in our lives. We have to think about the ways in which we're simply going through the motions and we want God to lead us to new places so that we might follow to new horizons where he wants us to be. God needs faithful people in the world today who are seeking him so that we might be ready to do his will in the ways that he has planned. God makes all things new. That's why he came. What new is he doing in your life today? What new thing is he doing that you want to be part of, that you're longing to be part of, but maybe you're just holding back and you're not sure if it's for you? What new way can you seek him and know him more? My prayer for all of us is that we would seek him for who he is, not for who we've made him up to be. That we would truly engage and be a people who bring life and joy wherever we go. So let's reflect on these words of Jesus in silence. And as we seek him this week, let's expect that he's going to meet us and be open to the new places he wants to take us.